When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Friday, August 6th, 2021. I'm Ash Bennington, joined today by Real Vision's CEO and co-founder, Rao Pal. But first, the stories we're looking at. Non-farm payrolls, this time around, U.S. economy added 943,000 new jobs in, in July. That's up from 938,000 prior month revised in June. Today was a beat, median estimates calling for 870,000. The unemployment rate fell to 5.4% in July from 5.9% in June, uh, this largely before the Delta variant news seeped in uh, to the public consciousness. Here we are looking at markets today, you know, basically flat, fractionally higher uh, on some of the indices. Uh, the S&P 500 closing out the day at 44.36, up 0.17%. Uh, financials and materials up on the day, uh, big tech down. And also a story that we are watching, Robinhood absolutely scorching. We'll talk more about that with Rao Pal, who joins us now. Rao, welcome back to The Daily Briefing. It's good to be here, and I'm very pleased it's Friday. It's been a long, grinding week. Yeah, indeed. But a fun one. Rao, what's on your mind? What are you looking at right now? So the ongoing narrative, I think, if people have been watching The Daily Briefing for a while, is that my hypothesis is a slowdown, not just the US, but globally, and that the piece of data we saw today is just an outlier and a general trend of data that is getting weaker. The Citibank Economic Surprises Index has gradually fallen below zero as the trend of data has got weaker. That is a basic lag from the Chinese economy, which is weak, um, and we've seen weakness within parts of Asia as well. I think that goes forward, and that's a lot to do with demand brought forward and the high rise in prices has caused a complete collapse in demand in certain goods, particularly big ticket items. Secondhand cars, housing, and general large consumer durables have seen um, consumer confidence fall and things like um, buying climate at all-time worst levels. So people have thought, yeah, we will see this flow through in terms of consumption patterns. We've also got the story that you and, and Western broke a long time ago, which is the story of Japan, the Olympics, and COVID, and a total screw-up there, having dealt so well with the virus and then opening the borders for the Olympics, and it seems that half the bloody athletes have got COVID. Um, so that's now spread like wildfire through the Japanese population. Don't forget, Japan is the third largest economy in the world, and this really matters. Um, because again, it may be supply issues. It's just all at the margin. It's not like COVID, um, that the Delta variant is going to take over the world. And it's going to be like March again. What we're talking about is a rate of growth that is not as fast as it has been. And I know Jim Bianco had the same view yesterday. Eric Basmagian today on uh, Real Vision um, Plus talking to Jack had similar views. 
Um, David Rosenberg has got similar views, um, and all of us believe that the the economy ex stimulus after the sugar rush tends after recessions to be weaker for a period of time, and generally that leads to more stimulus. And I see that story playing out in front of us. Bond yields spent most of the time falling and then had a two-year, two-day kind of screaming rally higher as we go into non-farm payrolls. And my guess is they drift off next week again. They'll consolidate sideways for a while around these levels and then make the push down to 1%, I think, is the next thing. The other big news of the day that is, is incredibly not noticed anywhere is that the dollar broke that huge inverse head and shoulders pattern that I've been talking about. And the euro has a perfect head and shoulders pattern at 118, 117 and a half, which it broke today. Um, and it had touched the trend line before, bounced and then broke below it now, or, or just to it now. That would suggest that the euro could go to 110 and we've got a hell of a strong dollar rally to come, which is commensurate with a risk off phase. Hmm. So, it's again, it's something I've been looking at, but writing about in Global Macro Investors and in um, Real Vision Pro is that we should be long bonds, long dollars, because this kind of environment will see that happen. Also, the other thing I've been looking for is growth stocks to start outperforming, and that's been going on too. So the markets are con confirming my narrative. Let's see if that continues, but but that is really, really what in the macro world, I've been focused on. Yeah, you're up to one. You're a dollar up to one twenty-two in May. Now down uh, below one eighteen. That's a big move. It is, and I think it's going to go much faster. I think the dollar is going to go a lot higher suddenly. What's going to be the catalyst? I don't know. China is is not good right now, and also what's going on geopolitically with China and within China are not comfortable for markets that could be capital flows from there. Japan also, you know, dollar yen's a notoriously difficult beast to trade and has been trading sideways, but you know, if Japan has to come in and stimulate because they've they've had to shut down their economy again, well, there's a chance that dollar yen moves out of the range that it's been in for a while and, and maybe, you know, moves up towards the kind of 120 130, you know, and and starts going higher. I don't know, but but that's always been a risk for me. So macro is back in play right now. The inflation trade has faded away. There are some structural trades in oil and stuff like that that remain relatively strong. And I think Tony and Tracy today on the platform on Real Vision Essential on Oil Week talked about the you know how bullish the oil market is. And I think that's probably true. But oil isn't the only inflation, and it only has to stop going up for inflation numbers to fall. And I know the other narrative. Um, that is important is I do understand that most of these prices will never come down again. They just year on year rate of change of inflation drops lower when the price gains always seem to stick except in wages. So let's wait and see. But there's a lot going on. Yeah. And dollar index DXY uh, commensurate rise to the euro dollar pair up to 92. Looks like almost spot eight right now. Yes, and breaking through 93, and you clear the way to 96, 97, you know, these are decent moves in the dollar, and that tends to have an impact on things like emerging markets. And it had an impact on gold today. You know, gold is, it seems to can't get out of its own way all year because it gets caught either between the dollar going up and gold falls or rates going up and gold falls. And it can't find this sweet spot of the dollar being relatively stable 
and rates falling when when gold starts outperforming. So it's not an easy trade. And a lot of people are in that trade still. It's been a tough one. Yeah, Raul, one of the other things that you mentioned at the beginning of the show that I find fascinating, and this harkens back uh, to the beginning of the COVID crisis when we go back to February and March of last year, I'm fascinated by those alternative measures uh, of economic activity that you look at because you were so far ahead of the curve. Decades of thinking about the macro world at hedge funds, at Goldman, you had these data points that no one else was talking about, things like TomTom uh, data for travel. I mean, this is fascinating. What are you seeing on your dashboard with those alternate measures? of economic activity right now. As you'd imagine, in some parts of Asia, growth is slowing again, and we'll see it in Europe probably once everybody returns from summer holidays. The US has been different, um, and so the US has been relatively reopened, but let's wait and see if the Delta variant has some impact. But generally speaking, Japan is where the issue is. I mean, you've had an Olympics where there's empty streets. You know, this is a very, very expensive thing to host. And there's no audience. I mean, it's um, so. Yes, Australia's what in its fifth lockdown. I feel so sorry for everybody living in Melbourne. I mean, th- they've spent most of the last year and a half in lockdowns. I don't know how many lockdowns the UK had. The UK looks like they've got to the right number of vaccines to be able to deal with the Delta variant, so it's not been as big an issue. But again, we will see it in the economic data, and we will see some level of slowdown again. And we won't see borders reopening as much. You know, Australia's not going to reopen. New Zealand's not going to reopen. Cayman here is not going to reopen. Not while this is still going on. So at the margin, that means that growth disappoints. The big reopening trade is the medium to larger reopening trade, not the big one. Yeah. And we've been talking about that right here on Real Vision Daily Briefing with Darius Dale, uh, with his grid view of the world, talking about precisely that point. Yeah. And I, you know, Darius's work. He comes at it completely differently to me, almost exactly matches what my work is or Jim Bianco's work or David right. Rosenberg's work. Now, it doesn't mean any of us are right, but, um, but you know, it, I can see a lot of this data out there. It seems pretty clear to me. I've been writing about it for months, talking about it for months. Economic data takes a while to develop. You know, what I'm talking about, really the slowdown, you won't see until October, November, and then everyone's going to go, oh, my God, everything's slowing down. Um, and you know, then we'll be thinking, when are the Fed going to cut? Which, whenever that comes, whether that's in this year or early next year. But I think that's that's where we play. And you know, this is usually my sweet spot. In macro is spotting this kind of stuff. Um, it's usually what I'm good at. Doesn't mean I get them always right, um, but I, I feel relatively comfortable with that view. Yeah, I mean, two things strike me. First, how interesting it is uh, that when two or three people who come at this with a totally different methodology land in the same place, that's noteworthy. It's interesting to think about. And the yeah, second- and we don't, and we also don't talk to each other. You know, it's not like I'm speaking to David Rosenberg every day, saying, "Hey, Dave, what do you think?" You know, or or Jim. We're just not doing that. So that becomes really interesting. I had no idea what Jim's view was until I saw him talking to you yesterday. I'm like, bloody hell, it's exactly the same as mine. Yeah, and Darius as well, for that matter. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. 
Yeah. And the second thing is that the way that you think about this, it's the bad news and then the response to the bad news in terms of stimulus. Tell us a little bit about what your thoughts are about the ultimate effect uh, of when bad news becomes good news again. We are not allowed persistent bad news. And why is that? It's because the world is hyper-leveraged. And if you allow the value of the collateral, which are the assets, to fall, then leverage becomes unserviceable. So that's the general rule of thumb. So what happens if economic growth gets weak and assets start falling? These are the fixed assets that you use as collateral. That's real estate, equities, bonds, stuff like that. The moment any of those start moving, the Federal Reserve stimulate yeah. or stop it because it can't be allowed. So you get this weird world where we've just had the shortest recession in all recorded history, which happens to be the biggest recession in all recorded history, because they stopped it by throwing money at it. And throwing money at it, I believe, devalues the denominator, which is the price of fiat money or the value of the purchasing power of fiat money against these assets. Um, so that means optically no assets ever go down, like the Venezuelan stock market never goes down. I know that sounds extreme, and I'm not trying to sound, oh, my God, it's hyperinflation. I'm just trying to explain the metrics of how this is working. But they even stopped the economy because they gave direct cash handouts. So obviously, you can get around it because if you put direct cash into the economy and force people to spend it, then it comes out the other side and the economy is kind of protected. So, you know, we, we crossed the Rubicon. We crossed the Rubicon in 2008, and we crossed a different Rubicon uh, in 2020. And I, I, we're never going back. And so recessions are not allowed, whatever that means, and asset prices are not allowed to fall either of any magnitude, let's call it 15%, or for any duration. So it can't go down and stay down because it's not allowed any longer because the system can't take take it. Because the whole, even the uh, Julian Brigden keeps pointing out the unemployment numbers um, basically mirror the S&P 500. Yeah. So therefore, if the S&P 500 goes down, people get laid off. This is the mess we're in. This is what is a hyper-financialized economy. Um, yeah. And we can trade it in our favor. If you know this, then why own the puts? I keep saying this, is the Fed bought the puts for you and given them to you for free. So what you always want to do in any sell-off is buy the calls. It's like nothing will last long because the Fed will not allow it to. So you've got, you're armed with a one-sided market which is fascinating. You, know, you can make money from it. And then if you choose the right asset classes within that one-sided market, be it technology, kind of exponential age stocks or crypto, you can do very well. Boy, that harkens back to the chart that Julian showed on this show. I guess it was two weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago, uh, with you and me, showing that correlation between the labor market's employment uh, and the S&P 500. Really striking. And by the way, when you put it in such stark terms, the deepest recession and also the fastest. Does that seem a little maybe incongruous? Exactly. I mean, but so, so okay, so let's play that out. You're now a policymaker. You're Janet Yellen and you're Jay Powell. You're meeting in a room, having a coffee, and saying, we did pretty good, didn't we? We, we might have found the secret weapon to stop recessions ever happening again. So is your propensity now increasing or decreasing to do more of the same in any trouble. Obviously, you think it works now. Right. So you will do more. 
And the market doesn't get its head around this. We didn't realize that sea change that happened in 2008 when they started this quantitative easing. And we've gone through another change now, which is more. You know, there's a reason Janet Yellen is in the Treasury. It's because the independence of the central bank is finished at zero interest rates. Those two things are the same thing. It happened in Japan exactly the same way. So it's fascinating. It's fascinating where this is going. It's like the old joke that the worst thing that can happen to you your first time in a casino is that you win. Yeah, I remember Kyle Bass's first video he did with me, the masterclass, when I sat down and he talked about that. The worst thing that ever happened to him was he made a fortune in his first trade, <laughs> short selling. And you know, and then he tried it again and again and again and lost money until he figured out what he had to learn. But yes, that's the problem is they have a bias now that we've had two big events. The, the financial crisis, although it was catastrophic, they managed to stop the system completely falling apart. Then the Europeans did the same in 2012. And now they've just done it in the global pandemic. It is now law that this is what they will do. And it'll only get bigger each time. Yeah. And students of history of uh, Arnold Toynbee and Hyman Minsky and Real Vision will know the risks of how nothing can fail like success. But the question is, you play out what is the failure? Right? The market can't crash. I keep saying this to Julian. He's like, oh, inflation. I'm like, okay, so what? What, what happens in market terms? So inflation, bond yields go up and the Fed cap them. They've already said they do yield curve control. The Australians did it. Europeans have basically done it. The Japanese have done it. So then you can't, bond yields don't go up. So does that destroy the economy? No. Why happens to the stock market? You know, if the stock market falls, they stimulate again. It's kind of this weird world yeah. where nothing can go wrong. What does go wrong is the value of your dollar without you knowing it is going down. Right. And an asset that... You, so the value of your of houses has just gone up 25%, like in a straight line. Same with you know other fixed assets, equities. And that means your dollar of savings now buys you less of an asset. And right. think of assets as future deferred consumption. So you buy an asset now in order to sell it later to, to buy goods and services in due course. You can now buy less goods and services. So yeah. um, everybody doesn't realize it but the value of their dollar is going down. Right. That is the that is the risk. And it's so interesting because it's difficult to tell if the value of other currencies is declining. Uh, look at, uh, for example, dollar-yen uh, since, you know, for the last 10 years, up, up, up. But the actual purchasing power of the U.S. dollar can decline simultaneously. This is a weird world. We've never seen Yeah, because this. people think of it in relative terms versus yeah. currency without thinking of the overall value of fiat. You know, and I figured this out when I did, like, UK house prices against the Bank of England balance sheet. I know people hate those charts, but they bloody work. Swedish house prices against the Riksbank's balance sheet. US house prices against the US central bank. It is there for everybody to see. And it is happening. And this was my flaw with the MMT argument from day one. Is yes, you can always finance yourself. But there is a cost somewhere, and that cost is the value of money. And we're seeing it. And that's what 140 million people have figured out in cryptocurrencies right now. Right. It's only a chart crime until it becomes orthodoxy. 
<laughs> and it's just so obvious that no one would even need to say it. By the way, talking of which, on a slightly different uh, but related note, talking about some optimism, your interview with Gary Vaynerchuk, Gary V, live on the platform now. First, let's just take a clip of this. If you haven't already seen it, take a look at this trailer. But also, it makes culture an investment. Well, by the way, by the way, let's stop there right now. I just want to make sure everybody who's listening, your incredibly handsome, smart host here, just said the only thing that actually matters. And it's the reason I'm so in. The purity of culture has been incredible because it wasn't economic between the end audience and the person. There was always something in between. But let there be no confusion. That statement was the most important. As much as I've been yapping, the tokenization of culture is exactly right. It's the only thing I've been thinking about the whole time. I've looked at this whole crypto space. I've been in it since 2012. And all of it is less exciting than this tokenization of culture, the kind of NFT plus community stuff that's coming, plus the metaverse. And uh, it's going to be a big deal. Boy, there you have it. The flip side of the trade that you were just talking about, the tokenization of culture. For people who haven't been watching Real Vision on the crypto side, give us a sense, Ralph, of what the tokenization of culture means. Really? In five minutes, Ash? <laughs> In five hours, it would be hard to do, but let's put you on the spot. In the past, huge communities coalesced around music, sports styles, and other things. People, passion, culture brands that you love, Nike, whatever it may be. And you couldn't really, you, you, you have a certain level of involvement in them. Some of them, you didn't even have shares to trade. Maybe you couldn't afford to. Maybe you didn't have access to. And then suddenly the tokenization of culture and communities and things, like whether it's the Board Ape Yacht Club, which is a community of NFT token holders that kind of enjoy this thing, whether it's within gaming, there's culture within gaming, Fortnite has a huge culture, or whether it's the culture of your favorite artist or the sports star or your football club. These things are deep cultural institutions. Yeah. And tokenizing that allows you to participate with the vibrancy of that culture. I mean, that's it's groundbreaking. It's like thinking, oh, I've just discovered the punk movement in 1977 and be able to buy tokens in it. And you can be part of that community and also make money of it too. And also by that token, you can be connected to other parts of the community. It's not just about making money. It's about creating value for each other. So all of this tokenization stuff is all about how humans organize societies. So, so once we came out of uh, um, Jared um, Diamond's book, Guns, Germs, and Seal, goes, goes through this in quite depth, is once you start to come out of small groups of 100 and something people and you start to get into larger groups, so from villages to towns, to organize people, you generally need a leader or set of leaders, a set of rules, a mission, and often a system of value. Now, that's the same way we organize religions. So the value in religions is often maybe about if you don't do this, if you don't follow the rules of heaven or hell, that's the value proposition or reincarnation, depending on what religion you're talking about. And some of them also have money attached, like the Catholic Church. So they create network effects around complex adaptive societies, and it's a way of controlling large groups of people or organizing them. Control is the wrong word. Tokens allow us to do that on the internet. 
and the internet, all of us are all part of communities. Like you and I are part of the Real Vision community. We're both part of the FinTwit community. And you'll be part of other communities that I don't know anything about. And I'm part of communities that you don't know anything about. But we play an active participation in that community to various le levels. And we can be, we can put all of the community members together by giving them a value proposition. Yeah. Um, and that would be a token. So this is, and this is a cultural thing. Um, so this is so groundbreaking. It's really difficult. People need to follow a lot of my videos on this because I've been talking a lot about it. There's a lot in that Gary V interview about it as well. This is one of the biggest things I've ever seen or heard of. And it's happening because I know because of who I'm speaking to about it. It's it's going to be an explosion in the change of the global business model. And I argue that watch what Facebook's doing with DM. DM is not only a stable coin, it also allows that community of three and a half billion people to have a system of money. Three and a half billion people in a system of money makes Facebook. Ah, oh, three and a half billion people, a system of money, and the fact that Mark Zuckerberg is going into the metaverse makes Facebook what? Sovereign state. All these communities are small, mini sovereign states. This is where we're going. It starts to resemble what I talked about with Balaji Srinivas and this idea of the cloud state, this very unusual situation where the rules of what a traditional nation state looks like begin to blur. And by the way, we've seen this on a very small scale right here at Real Vision with the exchange talking about the power of community and this kind of blurring of lines between people who, who um, are the guests at Real Vision, who are the employees of Real Vision, and who are the subscribers to Real Vision, all creating content side by side. It's a really interesting space. And it's really powerful. And I've said this for a long time. Before Real Vision came along, and I honestly believe this, people did not get the access to the information that they've got. So I would say that the average retail investor was less capable to make informed decisions than the sophisticated investor. Real Vision changed that a lot. I mean, there's probably been a hundred podcasts cloned on the back of Real Vision and a bunch of other things. And really, what's happened now is that individuals are much better educated about how to look at financial markets, how to analyze it, how to think through, how to join the dots. And the hive mind is smarter than the individual. I truly believe the exchange en masse or the Real Vision membership en masse as a community is smarter than any one of the guests that we get, whoever it is, even Stan Druckermiller. They're smarter. And this is the power of community. I've never done an interview where there weren't people in the audience who were smarter about that topic than I was. It's just impossible. It's impossible. Just by the nature of our community. We have a great community. So this is why I'm, I'm truly passionate about all of this. A, I think it's fascinating to see something change so fast. B, it's fascinating to think that Facebook can turn into a nation state. So what does Amazon do? What does, what does Disney do? What does that mean? Who, who's going to fight against it? I mean, there's some really interesting backlashes about this, too, about Facebook going to the metaverse. Well, then there's a different version of the metaverse, which is a distributed version um, that stands for the opposite. So there's going to be a battle, yeah. much like there is nation states against others now. All of this is happening, but communities, all power to them. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads.
Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. Yeah, I've been playing around a little bit with Mastodon. The uh, I think it's called Mastodon, the open source version of Facebook that's so big in the crypto community. It's fascinating. It's really interesting. Things are changing so quickly, uh, and it's such an interesting time to be watching this space. Well, let me ask you a question because I want to get some questions in from our viewers very quickly. On a, a very different note, uh, bringing us back in uh, to the fixed income world, this one comes to us from Ghana Boy John. Ghana Boy John wants to know, hi, Raul, would love your views on long-term head and shoulders foundation uh, formation in TLT. Uh, how does that jibe with your views for slower growth uh, in the second half of the year. By the way, TLT, I, for those who don't know, iShares long-term 20-year-plus bond index. I don't see that head and shoulders pattern. Um, I, I see a, a corrective pattern from, um, in, um, from the high, and I think it's headed back to the highs. So we have a different opinion. And you know who, who knows? It make, takes two to make a market. That's currently how I see the balance of probabilities. Yeah. So, Raul, I can't believe we've blown through half an hour already. Um, shocking, actually. What are your final thoughts uh, on what you are going to be looking for in the next couple of weeks? So I released Global Macro Investor last Monday or Monday. There was an article buried there. It was only about six pages long, and it was entitled The Greatest Trade. And it's just Ethereum. I think it's a better setup in Ethereum. Well, it certainly was by Monday, but it still remains than March 2020 was for Bitcoin. And basically, and without giving away the full article, because I think I'm going to put it on Real Vision Pro, basically, there is 13% all the free flows of Ethereum available. Everything else is being staked, blocked, and hoarded. They've just made the supply more difficult. So the supply is lower. The Ethereum that is in free float is falling every day. And now we've just got the 1559 token out of the way. Most people are going to start staking the ETH that they hold. And there is no ETH available, and demand is going exponential. Exponential demand meets fixed supply equals exponential price rise. One of the best setups I've ever seen. Interesting. Very interesting. By the way, Raul, talking of which, at 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time, uh, almost exactly one hour from now, I'm going to be live on Twitter Spaces with Christine Kim, who is on Real Vision, uh, talking about precisely this issue on Real Vision Crypto, talking about EIP 1559 London. She literally wrote the research paper on this uh, for Coindesk, and she's going to be coming to us, joining us uh, on Twitter spaces in one hour. Yeah, Jack did a Twitter spaces today as well with a uh, with a great group of people. It's, it's a great idea. We're spilling everywhere. This is where you touch your community, not just on your platform. You can touch them on Twitter. You can meet them on uh, Twitter spaces. You can meet them on the exchange. Uh, you know, this is this is how modern media works, and I love it. Yeah, Ralph, speaking of which, talking of community and the exchange, one final question coming to us uh, from Jason uh, Bargainer. Uh, question is, given the nature of repo and reverse repo, how much truth is there in the chart of truth? And what is your interpretation of that? And Ralph, for people who don't know what the chart of truth is, give us a sense. The chart of truth is the chart of my career and pretty much every single person who's been in financial markets since 1980. And it's the fact that bond yields fall over time. And it actually is highly correlated with uh, demographics. Um, Debt demographics, deflation, globalization, that's the ongoing trend of our lifetimes. Um, and bond yields just keep falling. And 
there's always a reason why people don't believe it. There's always a reason people say, well, when the yield curve inverted, or this time it's different, it's not. And I don't think it's going to change. I don't see any reason until we change the demographic structure of the United States that that is going to change. And even, you know, it didn't change with money printing. It didn't change with headline inflation numbers. It didn't change with anything. It keeps grinding lower. It's a structural problem in all of the developed market economies based on demographics, the massive amounts of debt, um, and generally globalization and falling wages. It's, it's not going away. So that chart of truth basically keeps you on the straight and narrow. If that keeps falling, and it's been doing it since 1982, and it's in a beautiful band since about 1993, it's a perfect band. It's like, that's all you need to know. Now, you don't make as much money out trading bonds as you used to. You have to use a lot of leverage. But if bond yields are falling, tech stocks are rising right now because they're the new bonds, because they have infinite leverage to the upside. So there's lots you can do with this trade once you understand where you are in the business cycle. The whole business cycle is that chart. Yeah, 40, 40 years. 40 years. 40 years. Yeah, I and mean, in many ways, it's the flip side of what we're talking about with the move into in from fiat into crypto, into digital assets. I mean, yeah, that's right. And as yields go lower, people start migrating across to the new world. The new world? Well, there's DeFi yields that are 5%. Well, that's a hell of a difference. Um, you know, there's uh, as bond yields go lower, it distorts a lot of asset prices, and people start to become less comfortable with the whole world around them because it doesn't make sense any longer. So people migrate to a new world. You can see it online. There's a huge split. Some people love the crypto world. Other people prefer to look back at the gold world. But whatever's happening, everybody's wildly uncomfortable. Yeah. Talking of the crypto world, news crossing the wire uh, within the last hour here today uh, that Brian Brooks, U.S. CEO of Binance, has just resigned uh, after only four months on the job. If there's one thing about crypto we can be sure of, Raoul, it's that there is always news flow to be had. Yeah. And there's always a scare story somewhere down the track. I was flicking through the FT app today and um, Katie Martin's article, I was just dripping with cynicism at every level about Bitcoin. Um, you know, you see that everywhere or about crypto in general, and there's always something going on. You know, this space came out of the Wild West. It's not the Wild West now, but there's still a cleanup, you know, and the sheriffs are in town, so God knows what's going to happen. And, you know, stuff will get cleaned up, stuff will get regulated. It's all part of the journey. Step back, look at that adoption curve, 113% a year, fastest growing adoption of any technology in human history. That's all that matters. Yeah. And the UK Fleet Street in particular still leads the world in snark. We don't compete in the US on snark in the business. Oh, business. no, no, no. English snark is quite, quite crushing, particularly when it's a really snobbish newspaper like the FT or The Economist. It's really, you know, it's just, it cuts to the bone. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, talking of cutting to the bone, if you'd like to see us cut to the bone on EIP 1559, that's starting in almost exactly one hour, Christine, Kim, and me on Twitter spaces. Ralph, final thoughts that you'd like to leave us with before we end for the day? Um, no, just buy Ethereum. That's all I can tell you. And open a glass of uh, open a glass or a bottle of red wine at this point? I mean, it's 4.30 on a Friday afternoon this summer. It's 3.30 in the island of Cayman. It's a bit early for me. So I, I'm going to have to wait an hour and a half. 90 minutes. I think you'll make it through. Uh, hopefully. It's going to be a struggle. <laughs> it's been that kind of week. 
Well, it's always a pleasure, especially on summer Fridays. Thanks for joining us. All right. Take care, everyone. Have a great weekend. Thanks for watching, everybody. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.